When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On Saturday, August 14th, a magnitude 7.2 earthquake struck the western part of Haiti. As of this recording, the death toll is over 2,200 with another 6,000 injured. Haiti's hospitals are overwhelmed. People do not have homes. COVID is still a significant risk, but there are people who are responding. First responders and medical teams immediately began search efforts through the rubble, They've made significant progress. And now, almost two weeks after the earthquake, Haiti has some new needs, mainly treatment for those who are injured, access to food and shelter, COVID responses, rebuilding infrastructure, and more. This is Sounds Good. I'm Brandon Harvey. Today's episode takes us inside of Haiti. It's a bit run and gun. It's recorded quickly. But I'm so glad we got to have this conversation and got to have it so quickly. I got to speak with Christy Delafield. Christy serves as Mercy Corps' managing editor of communications. She often deploys during an emergency to assist Mercy Corps' teams on the ground. She's usually based in Washington, D.C., but has traveled around the world in her role from Syria to Yemen to the Bahamas after Hurricane Dorian. And for those who don't know, Mercy Corps is a global team of humanitarians working together on the front lines of crisis, disaster, poverty, climate change, to create a world where everyone can prosper. Mercy Corps has been working in Haiti for years prior to the earthquake. And right now their team, which is made up of local Haitians, are working to procure and deliver thousands of kits with essential supplies, including water purification tabs, soap, diapers, mosquito nets, sheets, and tarps, as well as thousands more solar lanterns, They're also providing cash assistance to 5,000 families so that they can purchase what they need the most. And lastly, they are working to support Haitians long-term with farming and climate change efforts, among other things. In this conversation, we talked about what's happening on the ground in Haiti, what the immediate needs are, the inspiring stories of the helpers who are beautifully responding, and how we can all make a meaningful difference for Haiti. As I'm sure you can expect, it is not easy to get a quiet space in Haiti right now, so you may hear some background noises. This was a great episode. It was a really important episode. I'm so glad we got to have it, and I cannot wait for you to hear it. So without any further ado, let's jump straight into my conversation. Christy, welcome to Sounds Good. Why don't we just start off by having you tell me where you are right now? Brandon, I am in the Nip département of Haiti. Uh, it is the southern peninsula of the country, um, about maybe an, an hour, hour and a half from the epicenter of the of the seven point two earthquake that struck the country almost a week ago. It struck a week ago, and I'm curious. On tell me about the context of of what's happening on the ground and what the problems that. Haitians were seeing on day one were versus what they're seeing today, a week later? 
the best way to start is to describe to you what it looks like when you drive through these areas. Mm. We already, Mercy Corps already had a team on the ground. We have 70 team members, the majority of whom are Haitian. There's just a, a handful of expats. I'm, I'm a very rare international staff member. We had 19 team members here in the NEEP office, um, all of whom are Haitian. And they, you know, straight away the day of the earthquake, they um, immediately reached out to their local, their local government and local community contacts and started trying to figure out what had happened, who was hardest hit, how people were doing. I arrived the day after, no, two, two days after, and they started driving me around. And this was just as Hurricane Grace, or sorry, um, it was Tropical Depression at that point, Tropical Depression Grace went through the exact same area. So first you had an earthquake, then you had this tropical storm. We saw flooding. We're driving through um, foot high water. There's rocks all over the road, landslides, mudslides. Um, homes are destroyed. In Lazil, the community where we were working, which is very close to the epicenter of the earthquake, 90% of buildings were affected and 50% destroyed completely. So those first days and hours, they're all about mobilization. It's about getting information. It's about search and rescue. It's about clearing roads, um, trying to make a way to get to people, trying to understand who's hardest hit. And certainly the question that is still is going to carry through is still a question for us. And it's always going to be a question for us is what is the right help? Because mm. what we Mercy Corps have at our core is we want to listen to the community. Um, we believe that global change starts with local action. And you don't get to the right solution if you're not listening to the people who are most affected to the emergency. Because they are the, the ones closest to the problem are the closest to the solution. So we want to be sure that the help that we are bringing is help that the community wants and needs. And that it is what people need most urgently. I think one thing that I've kind of noticed in the conversations happening online around Haiti is this wariness to support relief efforts because after the 2010 earthquake, like $13.5 billion in aid was raised, but not all of that money. In fact, maybe a small amount of it actually made it into Haitian hands. And my question is, what happened then back in 2010? And how have things changed over the last decade, if at all, uh, in regards to where that aid is going in, in supporting direct Haitians on the ground? I can speak to Mercy Corps' specific work. We, um, we arrived in Haiti after the 2010 earthquake. I was not part of that response. So what I'm going to tell you is a little bit more about changes that I am aware of, but I my knowledge is far from comprehensive. One of the big things that I think has changed and what I've heard from colleagues who participated in both the 2010 response and this response is that what we saw in 2010 was just not always as community led as you would want. A lot of people really wanted to get support into Haiti. Mercy Corps brought support into Haiti and we um, we're able to deliver a large amount of programs reaching more than a million people, but we were just one small player in a, in a broader system. 
I was talking to a colleague who said that in 2010, for example, the coordination meetings, which are a really essential part for organizing how we respond and make sure that nobody is missed, make sure that we're not duplicating or overlapping. Um, You see this feature in every single emergency. They're always coordination meetings. Um, In 2010, those meetings were held in English. And Haitians, Mm. of course, speak Creole and speak French. That would never happen today. Those coordination meetings are happening in French. All the documents are being translated into both English and French that come out of the United Nations, for example. And I think that this principle of looking to the community to lead is so vitally important because, I mean, imagine if a disaster hit, you know, your own community, you know, wherever that may be you know, you know, we all know a little bit about what resources are available in our community. We know who has what tools, we know who has what skills, we know the landscape, we know how to get from one place to another. And also those immediate response efforts are always, they always start as neighbor helping neighbor because you can't predict an earthquake. Um, So, you know, the second that an earthquake happens, what you see is, Neighbors reaching out to each other, seeing who, you know, are you okay? Are you all right? Do you need help? And they immediately start to kind of do those initial search and rescue efforts. Local authorities, you know, like my colleagues who were here in NEEP, they were, you know, they called up the local authorities that they were already in contact with because they were doing work here prior and said, okay, where do we need to go? Who can we, who can we reach out to? Do you know who's been hardest hit? And it's being able to have those immediate conversations is what is going to put you on the right path to getting help to people. Maybe specialized expertise is needed, certainly, you know, specialized equipment, specialized search and rescue teams in those first early days. And then in this stage of the response, organizations like Mercy Corps, you know, having having a way to procure and bring in large amounts of supplies or being able to bring in additional experts. But it all starts and needs to be continued to be led by the knowledge of the community that's been affected. I just think it's really encouraging to hear that there has been that evolution. You know, it's heartbreaking that that, that wasn't addressed back in 2010, but the progress actually leaves me feeling a little bit more encouraged. And and you spoke to this idea of, of the beauty of, of neighbors helping neighbors and people showing up and leading these locally led efforts. And I'm curious, where are you seeing signs of hope on the ground? Like what are the moments that are leaving you feeling hopeful in spite of the absolutely heartbreaking situation? So I would say that the the first, you know, the first like 19 sources of hope for me are our team members. Um, Mm. My colleagues are here seven in the morning until, you know, we way into the night. Um, People are working incredibly long hours and with this just tremendous levels of energy, tremendous levels of dedication. People are so solution oriented. So kind of thinking about, all right, if this is the problem, here's like three different ways we could approach this problem. In addition, the, this neighbor to neighbor outreach, it is across the country of Haiti. Of course, the earthquake was felt in Port-au-Prince, but this earthquake did not affect Port-au-Prince. It affected this rural area in the South. And so we have people in Port-au-Prince who are sending donations, sending supplies, family members are, are reaching out to help family members. And I think it's really important for people to know 
you know, even down one street, not every house is affected equally. You know, an earthquake is so random. It's so callous in that way. Um, You know, one house might just be cracked and another house might be leveled. And so having, having that community come together and having people support each other, it is a huge sign of hope because those, those helpers, those like Mr. Rogers helpers that you want to look to, they're right next to you. They're beside you. They're you. And so that's really inspiring. That's really inspiring. I love this. And then tell me about like what Mercy Corps' role is right now. You know, I know that you are focused in on, you know, the particular things that Mercy Corps is skilled at. What does that look like right now? And how might that change in the coming days and weeks? An emergency response, and I've been doing this for seven and a half years, so I have some knowledge. I'm not, you know, the most knowledgeable, but um, I've been doing it for a while. And it it really resembles like a, a very um, elaborate uh, dance or like a chessboard. Everybody has different roles that they can play. Um, so, for example, we don't do medical, but Doctors Without Borders does medical, and like we work right alongside them and we share information and we say like, okay, what are you seeing here? What is, we do sometimes water sanitation hygiene and they say, look, people are going to be healthier and we can control disease with better water sanitation and hygiene. So it's this, it's this continuous partnership even before, right? So even before we had kind of people, um, extra people coming in on the ground, even before the earthquake, after the 2010 earthquake, we set up, Mercy Corps set up an SMS early warning system. So anytime there's a hurricane on its way, we are able to text message people and say, um, so we have a, you know, for people who don't have cell phones, there's a person in the community who has a phone who's like assigned to spread the word. So we'll be texting out to that network so they can go say like, okay, a very serious storm is on the way kind of here's what you need to do. So immediately following the earthquake, we activated that system to provide advice for people on how to avoid falling objects. You know, keep don't forget there's going to be aftershocks. Here's some information about how you can, you know, tell people who's hurt in your area. Here's who you can contact. Um, and then when we saw Tropical Storm Grace coming, activated that SMS system again, texting people. Um, because as you can imagine, an earthquake followed by a storm it's just emergency on top of emergency. So giving people information is, is just one key step. After that, our, our next position is let us find ways to bring in, if there are universally needed supplies, we want to bring those in as quickly as possible. We've got 3000 kits with emergency supplies and including tarps, um, soap, laundry soap, uh, diapers, uh, water purification tablets, things that we know that everyone who is affected will need. And then the next wave coming after that is emergency cash assistance. And the idea, Brandon, there is that people's needs are different, which is such a basic and, and seemingly obvious thing. But someone may have lost a wheelchair and they need to replace it. Someone may have lost livestock and that's their income and that's how they provide for their family. And they'd rather spend, spend money on that. So we can get cash to people so quickly. And that means that they can purchase what they need most urgently. So that's another huge sign of hope that I see in, in the entire humanitarian community, honestly, because 20 years ago, that's not really the way that we did emergencies. We, 
you know, as a, as a sector, humanitarians, you know, brought in goods. And on an island nation like this, what you're talking about is goods getting stuck in the port. That's what's happening now. Most supplies come to Haiti by, by ship, not by, um, not by air. So the airports aren't really equipped to take in large supplies of goods, but that's what we need to do in an emergency. We need things to be here fast. So when we check the, the local stores, we make sure, you know, all right, are things available? Are things getting resupplied? Are the prices reasonable? What are the prices? How much money do people need? We can get people cash so that they can purchase what they need specifically and they support the local economy. This is a revolution in the way that humanitarian aid is working that is more dignified, it's more empowering, yeah. and we know that local economies are the engine of a strong recovery. So instead of undermining the person who lives and works in Haiti and makes tarps or sells shoes, we are, are restoring their livelihood by approaching the response in this way. We are going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Sounds Good is sponsored by Breaking Glass. Breaking Glass is the podcast that hosts intimate conversations about women around the world. Their guests are bending systems, breaking rules, and rewriting the narrative for women. Let me tell you, I love this podcast. I genuinely feel so proud to get to have Evoke, which is, I guess, the maker of the podcast. I haven't mentioned that yet. And Breaking Glass as a sponsor for this show because I know that our listeners will love it. Their co-hosts connect with radical activists and unassuming feminists who are reimagining what it means to be a woman in this world. And in light of everything happening in the world right now, I, I think that this is an important podcast. And I know that it is a good podcast, an entertaining podcast, an inspiring podcast. How many times can I say podcast in this ad? Uh, let's not count. You can check out this show wherever you are listening to this episode of this show. Just search for Breaking Glass in your podcast app. I guess I said podcast again. <laughs> and you can also learn more about the show at breakingglasspodcast.com slash good. One more time, that's breakingglass and breakingglasspodcast.com slash good podcast. Sounds Good is supported by Moon March. I am so excited to have Moon March as a sponsor. Moon March is the agency that partners with causes, campaigns, and companies to create a better future. And if you've heard of Moon March, if you're like, wait, why do I know that name? First of all, it might just be because they are awesome. Uh, but second, it might be because they created Good Good Good's awesome new website. They were the team that brought it to fruition. <laughs> and oh my goodness, let me tell you, most creative agencies kind of just build their reputation on Mystique, also known as Smoke and Mirrors. They'll basically hand you off to a junior account manager. They'll tell you to trust their non-existent process, and then they'll leave you with mediocre work and an overly bloated bill. But that's not how Moon March works. Moon March has an incredible process that they took us through that didn't just 
result in a better website, but helped us better understand who Good 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 is as a brand and how we can better fulfill our mission. It's a really, really exciting journey to get to go on. And the whole time we were working directly with their top people who have decades of real experience. In fact, their team has experience working with brands like Nike, Disney, Pfizer, Puma, Google, Good, Good, Good Now, and more. If you are a brave soul running a company, cause, or a campaign that dares to rethink cultural establishments, Moon March is here to ensure that your story earns the participation it deserves. You can learn more about Moon March. You can explore their past work and get in touch at moonmarch.com. That's moon, M-A-R-C-H dot com. That's another example of the local community getting to be the decision makers rather than somebody in a boardroom or an office in the United States or France or the UK being the one deciding what a Haitian on the ground needs. That's huge. And I'm glad that we've seen that transition in the the nonprofit world. And it seems like it has such a positive ripple effect that ultimately will also support people long term too. You know, keeping that money in the economy is going to pay dividends after the recovery as well. Absolutely. I mean, I think that it's key to be looking at the long term, even from the early days, because you you can set up a strong response in these initial weeks. And we know that people here are in it for the long haul. Um, we know that it takes time to rebuild. And we, we want to ensure that patients are the decision makers from the beginning, because that's what's going to ensure that they're decision makers throughout. So everything from you know, our, our head of office here, um, who's Haitian sitting down with her team and saying, what do we think needs to be in the kits based on what we're hearing from the people that we work with to, you know, she was saying to me, and, and I'll tell you a little bit about what Mercy Corps was doing here before the earthquake. Cause that's very interesting. Also for her to tell me, all right, here's the parts of our programs that we were doing before that we kind of want to pause because we want to, we want to refocus our energy on this emergency that is, you know, immediate in your face needs to be dealt with. Um, But I want to come back to them and I want to adapt and adjust based on what I'm hearing from people about what's changed. So Lazil, this area that we're talking about, again, in the Southern Peninsula of Haiti, it is mountainous, it is rural. Brandon, it is one of the most devastated um, parts of the world by climate change. I mean, there's certainly there are many, many regions of the world that are being affected by climate change. Haiti is absolutely among them. And the reason is it is right in this hurricane zone. So the storms are getting more severe. The droughts are getting more severe. That dry period of the year is getting more intense. Um, They're experiencing a lot of deforestation. They're experiencing a lot of soil erosion. So the Mercy Corps team, you know, in July was working on how do we do some training with people to improve land management and soil management techniques to boost harvests. So hear me out. What climate change looks like here, what climate change looks like in Haiti is hunger. Hmm. Because 
when you have those unpredictable weather patterns, when you have drought, it means you're not able to grow as much. It means that your seed gets washed away in a storm or it doesn't sprout or it doesn't produce as well as it should because they're reliant on rain-fed agriculture, right? At the whims of the, the wind and the rain and the sun. And there are techniques, there are modern farming techniques that can boost harvests. And so we can address hunger by addressing food production. We can get right to the source of it and help farmers grow more and grow it right at home, like right there, so that it can spread in the community. People can um, get their food locally. This region is famous for its bananas. It's famous for its pineapples. Very delicious, very delicious. Highly recommend. <laughs> and these are people who know how to get goods to market in that, in that set of circumstances. We just were looking to boost that harvest so there was more food to go around. Um, and address hunger and, and address the, the climate crisis in that way. I think most people are really familiar with the idea of reducing emissions, or there's this other side of the coin. We've gone too far. The climate crisis is impacting people. It is affecting people, and it's affecting the most vulnerable people. But we don't have to let it stay that way. We can change it. We can help them adapt and adjust and find ways to survive better. Obviously, the world is facing another crisis on top of this earthquake. COVID-19 is still really, really challenging. I know that Haiti only started rolling out vaccines, I believe, a month ago. And there's still so many people who are unvaccinated. And now people are sheltering together. They don't have homes to, to distance. How is COVID-19 compounding this issue? And, and how is it being addressed? It is intense and it is scary. Like you say, vaccines only just started, you know, barely just started to get to Haiti. Only one-tenth of one percent, a fraction of a percent of the population has had a chance to get even one dose of the vaccine. So, I mean, I think it's, while we in the United States are talking about booster shots, people around the world are, are waiting and at the back of the line. And that is really important to note in particular because that's where we get variants. What we're looking at in Haiti right now is a situation where the Delta variant has already arrived. As you say, people are seeking shelter collectively in, in groups because there aren't that many buildings that are still standing that can provide shelter. Um, earlier this week, I visited a, a school that's sheltering about 200 people. They said that more were coming all the time. Um, they'd taken all the desks out of the classroom and they just laid blankets down on the floor and people are sleeping, you know, side by side and head to toe because there's just not enough room. Social distancing is an impossibility in this sort of situation. And what needs to be done is we need to see um, vaccines arrive. And honestly, Brandon, what I'm thinking is, um, do we need to go through the entire Greek alphabet before we learn that lesson? Um, and I'm just really, <laughs> I'm really hopeful the answer is no. You and I were talking before we hit the record button about this idea that my goal for this conversation was that listeners would hear that there are, despite these heartbreaking problems, there are people working to create solutions. And that that would leave listeners and myself, frankly, more hopeful and that that hope would ultimately drive us to join in and take action. Because when you believe that something is possible, you can 
create that change. And and what I'm hearing from you is a lot of examples of 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 progress being made. I do feel hopeful. I do feel hopeful that uh, we're addressing some of these problems and that we are going to be able to create a better solution for the Haitian people. Absolutely. You don't have to take my word for it. I mean, we're hearing it directly from Haitians themselves. I think that one of the most powerful things that I have heard about that notion of wanting to take action because you believe a solution is possible is that a teacher of mine told me that um, motivation is a multiplication problem, that you, um, you multiply the amount that you want something to happen by the amount that you believe that you know how to get it done. And if you don't believe that there is a solution or if you don't know the path to the solution, if that's a zero, it doesn't matter how much you want it to be done. That end results, the multiplication problem is zero. So, I mean, that's the thing that I love about the work that you're doing is that, um, and the work that we're doing is that we're showing people what the solutions are. And I think that that is what changes the hope and, and transforms the hope into the possibility. And it takes you from wanting something to happen to believing that it can happen. And it takes you from wishing that something could happen to making it happen. Christy, for people who are listening, they are feeling more hopeful. What is the best way that people can support the work that Mercy Corps is doing right now? The number one uh, type of support that we, re- we need right now um, is your, your visit to our website and your donations. You can send messages to your political leaders, tell them that you care about international issues, tell them that you want to see um, participation on the global stage. Um, that is so important as well. People hear a lot about domestic issues in, in um, government, but they don't always hear about a passion for the, the global community and the fact that we're all connected. But it is so easy to go to mercycore.org and learn more about Haiti, learn more about the work that we are doing in Haiti and around the world, um, and to make a gift and support the amazing team here. And um, I'm just so, so grateful and know that the team here is super appreciative of whatever people are able to do. Chrissy, thank you so much for the work that your team is doing. Please say thank you on our behalf. And thank you so much for being here to talk about all of this. It's so appreciated and it's so great to get to hear directly from the ground. It's a real pleasure, Brandon. Thank you so much. Keep up the uh, good work. That's Christy Delafield of Mercy Corps. You can learn more about the impactful work Mercy Corps is doing in Haiti by visiting mercycorps.org. As of right now, I'm scrolling on their website right now. Uh, They have a big button pointing you to their work in Haiti on the homepage. I highly encourage you to check it out, make a donation. And then if you can't, go a step further and sign a petition or contact your elected officials in support of Haitians. It really makes a difference. And to be frank, I'm concerned that people are losing focus on the impact that can be made in Haiti. Time is of the essence. And so if you feel moved, please go and find a way to support you can also visit goodgood.co slash take action and you can read our coverage of Haiti, including where we found even more helpers. This podcast was created by Good Good Good. At Good Good Good, we help you feel more hopeful and do more good. 
You can find more good news and ways to make a difference in our weekly email newsletter, our beautiful print good newspaper, or online at our all new website, goodgoodgood.co. This episode was created by Sarah Lee, Megan Burns, and me, Brandon Harvey. It was edited and sound designed by the team at Sound On Studios. You can find out more about their work at soundonsoundoff.com. Please make sure you hit the follow button wherever you listen to podcasts. Share this episode with a friend. And with that, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and keep the conversation about Haiti alive. And we'll be back next week with more good news and good action. Sound good?